Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast while there's still no Old Testament in the lectionary. (laughs) I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. That's funny every time, even though I know you're going to say it. (laughs) So if you've been playing along, you'll know that during the Easter season, when the lectionary has readings from Acts in the place of the Old Testament, boo, we have been doing a series that highlights the presence of the Old Testament between the lines in the gospel or even the epistle readings. This week, we're looking at John 17, verses 6 through 19, the gospel reading for May 16th. And Tim is up to bat. So what home runs do you have for us this week, Tim? <laughs> So the gospel reading this week is another part of uh, Jesus's farewell discourse that we've been talking about for a few weeks here. Um, this time, a prayer, the so-called high priestly prayer of Jesus, where he prays that God would protect his disciples after he's gone. The prayer starts a few verses earlier in 17.1, and I don't know about you, Rachel, but I can't think of any good reason why you would skip verses 1 through 5 if you're reading and preaching this text. There's some really great stuff in those verses. I can never think of a reason to skip Bible readings. (laughs) Okay, so um, I'm not exactly sure. I I didn't research this to find out. I'm I'm not sure when the tradition of referring to this prayer as Jesus' high priestly prayer started. But as I was researching for this week, I looked up all the other priestly or high priestly prayers in the Bible, and guess what I found? Oh, did you find some good ones to compare this one to? No. Oh. (laughs) I found squat. (laughs) As it turns out, prayer isn't really part of the job description for the high priest. Or even for priests more generally. They offer sacrifices, they perform rituals, do some divination, have some administrative responsibilities. They bless the people. You've got that ironic blessing. But Mm -hmm. prayers, the only priests praying that I could find were Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Ezra, Uh none of whom were high priests and all of whom prayed wearing more of a prophetic or judicial hat and not as part of their normal priestly role. So I think the label on this prayer of Jesus's in John 17 might be a bit of a misnomer. Hmm. But you know who does pray in an intercessory way? I'm sensing a theme here. Moses! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All this work in the Gospel of John lately has had me on a Jesus and Moses kick. Yeah. And this week is no exception. In particular, this prayer of Jesus's seems to be styled like Moses's prayer in Exodus 33 and 34. Hmm. In those chapters, following the golden calf incident, which you might remember, (laughs) Moses intercedes on behalf of the people and bases his appeal to God on two things. One, his own special relationship with God. And second, the fact that the people are God's own special possession. Oh, like we talked about last week. Yes, yes. So um, here's Exodus 33, 13. Uh, Moses prays, If you think highly of me, show me your way so that I may know you and that you may really approve of me. Hmm. And remember, too, that this nation is your people. Hmm. And then he picks it up a couple verses later. Because how will anyone know that we have your special approval? both I and your people, unless you go with us. Only that distinguishes us, me and your people, Mm. from every other people on the earth. Wow. And in John 17, 
Jesus prays based on his unique parent-child relationship with God, and he asks for his disciples' protection because they are distinct from the world as God's own special possession. That's such an such an interesting text to compare this to. How will anyone know that we have your special pre- approval, both I and your people, unless you go with us? Mm-hmm. Because when I think of the farewell discourse in, in John, I think of that huge emphasis that Jesus has on the spirit will come to you and will be with you and will abide yes. with you. Yes. That, uh, you know, and again, it's just another one of those things that we think of like the abiding presence of God in Jesus. And what you're listing up here is the abiding presence of God in Exodus, you know, this is not a new thing. This is a, a major theme that runs throughout all of Scripture. Yes, totally. And and in John 17, Jesus, uh, in his prayer, talks about God sending the people, the, his disciples, into the world yeah. and asking that that the Spirit would accompany the people into the world. And, and that's just what Moses was doing. God, we need yeah. your presence to accompany us on our journey into the land. Yeah, so, so that we might be distinguished from everyone else so that they may be brought ultimately to you. Yeah, yeah. Ah, cool. Mm-hmm. Now, in both of these texts, we also have the motif of, of communicating God's words. Mm. Just as Moses relayed God's instructions to the people, Jesus emphasizes in verses 8 and 14 that he has given his disciples all the words that God had entrusted to him. And so here we get to do a little bit of Greek work this week, too. A little word study on the word, word. No, okay. So take Exodus 34, 27, for example. Okay. After Moses had shattered the first copy of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, he intercedes successfully for God to spare the people and accompany them in their journey to the land. And God instructs Moses to make a new copy of the Ten Words. In Exodus 34, 27... It says, the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for in accordance with these words, I've made a covenant with you and with Israel. In Hebrew, both times God uses the word words, it's the expected Hebrew, dvarim. Hmm. Y'all out there might remember that davar is a flexible word in Hebrew with a range of meaning from word to thing to topic to commandment. But in the Septuagint of Exodus 34:27, which would have been the author of John's Bible, the Greek translation uses two different words for the word words. Hmm. First, we get write these words, taremata, words in the sense of utterances, commands. For on the basis of these words, this time ton logon, hmm. I have made our covenant. So the first words, taremata, is the formal utterance, the direct command of God. You could think of these as capital W words. And that utterance is captured in specific logon, uh, lowercase w words. Hmm. The book of John uses both of these Greek words for words. And, you know, sometimes they're just simply synonyms. Hmm. But rema is less common in John than logos. Here in 17.8, though, Jesus says that what God has given him, which he has given to the disciples, are taremata, those direct utterances, the capital W words. Mm. I think this is an intentional comparison to Moses who gave taremata to Israel. 
Of course, take this with a grain of salt because in verse 14, Jesus says, I've given them your word, ton logon. So the other word for word is in this prayer too. <laughs> but my sense is that that first one is being used in a more, uh, in, in sort of a technical sense. Well, and, and even if you just expand it a little bit to the concept of words itself, that's such a hugely important topic in the book of John, where Jesus is the word. Exactly. You know? So there could be a bunch of play going on here with not only verse eight, now the words that you have given me, I have given to them. Jesus could mean not only the words that he has spoken, but himself, you know, the the word that he is of God fully enfleshed in human form. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, this, this like you say, it's a big topic in the book of John. Mm. And again, it's a way that Jesus is sort of patterned uh, according to Moses's template, um, yeah. in, in the way that Moses was the bearer of God's words to Israel. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Okay, there's there's one more Moses resonance here that I want to bring out. Okay. Uh, in the first few verses of the chapter, Jesus talks about the intimacy of his relationship with God, about glorifying God and being glorified by God. Oh, I see where you're going. In Exodus 34, one of the markers of Moses' special relationship with God was that when he would speak with God in God's presence, his face would become radiant. Yeah. And afterwards, he had to wear a veil because his face glowed with the glory of God. Being with God made Moses' face glare. <laughs> so in John 17, Jesus also speaks about being glorified. How? By being in God's presence. Mm. Now, I think John is saying more about Jesus than that he's simply like Moses. Well, definitely, because you would think if that were the case, that you'd have a transfiguration account in the book of John, and there's no transfiguration with the glowing face of Jesus mm -hmm. in it. So anyway, sorry for interrupting. Go on. Yeah, so we get a little bit of that here. But John sees Jesus as more than another Moses. Yeah. I think in John's theology, Moses sort of prefigures Jesus. Mm -hmm. What Moses did for Israel as a human messenger from God, Jesus has done in spades as the divine son. But seeing the kind of mosaic shape, to use your term, of <laughs> Jesus's prayer in John 17 does something to the way we preach this text. Mm. I think that it helps us see the continuity between Jewish faith and the gospel of John. Yeah, This is important because, um, as we talked about before, John is notorious as a book that disparages the Jewish leaders of Jesus's day, often simply referring to them as the Jews. Mm. And John's gospel has been used through the ages to support anti-Judaism and even outright anti-Semitism and violence against Jews. Mm. So I think it's helpful to see how the author of John is not advocating a kind of Christian supersessionism where Christianity replaces Judaism and Christians replace Jews as God's people. Instead, John sees Jesus operating in continuity with the faith of Moses and sort of re-energizing it as the divine son of God. So there's a building upon what came before, not a supplanting of what came before. Yeah. As chapter one says, Jesus is not grace instead of law. His coming is grace upon grace. Oh, so the grace, the first grace refers to Moses. Yes. And the second grace refers to Jesus. So, oh, 
Well, see, like I said before, this is one of my favorite verses. And you referenced this last time, but I didn't understand what you meant. And now I do. Grace upon grace, Jesus following upon Moses. That's awesome. That is it in a nutshell right there. Now, scholars will still argue back and forth about how successful John is in framing Jesus in that way. Sure. But when we preach texts from John, it's important, I think, to emphasize that continuity that John was shooting for, Uh. especially given the history of how this book has been used against Jews in a world dominated by Christians in the time since Jesus. Yeah. So in a sermon on the prayer of Jesus in John 17, I wouldn't call it his high priestly prayer. I would call it Jesus's mosaic intercession. Nice. Jesus used Moses as a good example of how to pray for God's people. And if Moses was successful in his intercession as a prophet, as God's friend, who was glorified in God's presence, how much more can we be confident that Jesus's prayer on our behalf as the divine son is effective as Jesus entrusts to us those, those uh, remata, those words of God as Jesus's own representatives in the world? Oh, I love that. I love that, especially because this is the text where Jesus not only prays for the disciples, but prays for those who will come after them. That's us. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're you're putting us, you know, and so just that idea of if Moses was successful, how much more so would be Jesus's prayer on our behalf? That's just beautiful. Oh, folks, this is such a good one. There, there's so many important things about teaching this and preaching this about, uh, as Tim said, super supersessionist use of the book of John, um, when really this is an, an inter-Jewish discussion and not an anti-Jewish discussion. So take this and run with it. There's a lot here. And, um, you know, I just hope your sermons will be grace upon grace for the people in your community. But thank you, Tim, for your great work this week, as always. And... Thank you to everyone who was listening. Um, Folks, let us know if you preach this and you have someone who uh, responds to it. We would love to hear the effects of of this sort of preaching in the parish. So just drop us a line and and let us know what it was like to preach this text or or others like it. We hope you enjoyed and you can find more at firstreadingpodcast.com or on the Facebook. And until next time, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.